Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. And welcome to a special programme on Haggerty Radio Le Mans for 2021. Uh, it's John Hindoff and the team, or at least some of them, looking at the runners and riders, the entry for the Grand Prix d'Endurance, the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Uh, this year, a year that sees the field split exactly in the 62 garages between GTs and prototypes. In this programme, we'll be talking about the GTs. And I'm delighted to say that joining me to, well, actually educate me and hopefully you as well uh, on the potential for excitement for this year, hopefully impart some of their knowledge of the drivers and teams and what they've been doing already. Uh, my colleague from IMSA Radio, Shea Adam, is with us. Hello, Shea. Welcome along. Oh, hello. Hello. Oh, little false start there. Almost jumped the start. Excellent. Maybe a 10-second stop and hold. And to... <laughs> The voice of RSL uh, and the WEC and LMS broadcasts, that is Johnny Palmer. Mr. Palmer, welcome along to our GT show here. A, 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 a fantastic entry of, what, 31 cars chock full of some names that we're expecting, some that we aren't, that we weren't perhaps, but um, a fantastically deep uh, entry of drivers and teams. I think it's actually quite easy to overlook some GT racing sometimes when they're not the top class. But uh, we're fully aware here on Haggerty Radio Le Mans that some for some of the reason for the fans turn up at Le Mans is actually to see the GTs because mm. they can identify with those cars as the cars they see on the road. Not every day because these are luxury sports cars, but they can recognise them. And and yes, GT Pro a little bit slim on the ground for 2021, but that's made up uh, from the fact that Am is just superb. I mean, it's bursting at the seams, and we've got some really tasty teams. That it's very difficult to to pick who might do well during uh, during race week. Yeah, these cars seen on the streets every day if you live in, what, Monaco or the West Midlands, yeah. where you are, uh, JP? Yeah, almost certainly. In fact, there goes a Porsche right now, even as we speak. <laughs> very, very good. Uh, before we kick off, and we'll start with GTE Pro at the moment, uh, in, in a moment, should I say. Uh, anything that we need to know in terms of the regulations, JP? Because for some time now, um, obviously Corvette's a new addition, we'll talk about that uh, in a moment, um, but for some time now, the uh, the specification of the Ferraris and the Porsches that we find in GTE Pro and GTM have been the same. There haven't been any major updates there. Um, all of the cars are what are called the Evo, uh, uh, Evo regs, or the Evo versions of those cars, the RSR 19 that's the latest version. That's in AM and Pro. And the GTE Evo, the 488, is in AM and Pro. So other than the drivers, are there any differences there? 
there are some differences. I mean, we should point out that this is the first year at Le Mans that you've been able to run the latest spec of Porsche with its 4.2 litre engine. It still sits in the middle of the car, as did the previous iteration. But yes, finally, customer teams can get their hands on the RSR 19. But what the organisers don't want is for the three types of uh, GT in AM um, producing the same sort of speed, the same performance as those that really should be going a bit quicker in pro. So what they've done is made the, the fuel tanks a little smaller in GTE AM. They're not allowed quite as much boost in the turbocharged cars. They're the Ferrari and the Aston Martin. Uh, so little... I mean, we're only talking sort of maybe five litres at times, uh, but it, it's deliberately that the, the uh, balance is deliberately tipped a little bit towards pro to give them the edge. And that should mean that they've got a slight edge in traffic as well. So when you've got pros yeah. coming around to lap AMs, it's a bit easy to get past them. And, and the thinking be, behind that, and in fact, I think the AM cars are a little bit heavier in, in the regulations, the sporting regs as well. The thinking behind that, of course, is that all of those AM cars, well, almost all of them, have got at least a pro driver in them. And therefore, when the pro driver is in, there's no reason why a pro driver in an AM entered 488 GTE Ferrari couldn't be as quick as, as one of the works cars. And that's what they're trying to get away from, I, I presume. Yes, later on in the race, if there's been safety cars to sort of equalise the race to that point, there is every chance that if you put uh, a Nicky team into an Aston Martin and if you put a Matt Campbell into a Porsche, they're going to be as quick as the pro cars. But theoretically, with the with the tweak in the regulations, that won't actually be possible. But it's going to be fun to watch because they, you know, they're going to have a slight disadvantage. And if they can still race with the pros, then that's entertainment for us. The makeup for Am, you have to have a bronze. You have to then, a second driver has to either be a bronze or a silver, and then your third choice is completely free. And that's the reason why a lot of teams go with a platinum or a gold-rated driver to maximise that trio. Let's start then with the GTE Pro entry. And let's start, Adam, with the three cars that are effectively out of the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, the IMSA Championship, in the US and we'll start with the Singleton Porsche which is a, as we've discussed it is the latest version of this car it's what WeatherTech Racing have been running in the USA and once again Cooper McNeil has made the decision to compete against the works cars um, presumably because he thinks a one in six one in eight chance uh, rather of of victory or a or a podium three and eight for a podium in gt pro is better than a three in a, in 23 in arm and my goodness me that's given him the opportunity to bring in two platinum drivers and he's got the band back together well that's exactly it john you get an open choice in effect by running in the gte pro category so cooper mcneil picked up a couple of drivers who have been, well, one of them's been very well employed. The other one hasn't been doing as much driving this year. And it is McBanthor in the 79 WeatherTech Racing Mc Porsche. McBanthor. Is that going to stick now? <laughs> McBanthor. Right. I'm pushing so hard for that to stick. Uh, it's Cooper's eighth Le Mans already. Wow. Twice he stood on the podium. 
Uh, he's been third before. He's run in this GTE Pro class once before alongside Jerome Bleakmullen when actually they had a three-driver lineup and one of the drivers fell ill on race day morning. They had to move up to the GTE Pro class in order to be able to run the race. So Cooper knows what he's getting into, and that's exactly why he's been racing this car across a variety of platforms this year. He's still been doing Ferrari Challenge. His heart is still with Ferrari, but he realizes that in order to win this race, his best opportunity is in a Porsche. Uh, Earl Bamba, the Kiwi, the Belgian Lawrence Vantor. Now, uh, let's take Earl first of all. Both Porsche drivers. Um, Earl has been slightly less employed than Lawrence. We'll come on to Lawrence because there's a potential uh, issue with, with Lawrence, of course. But Earl, Earl, Earl Bamba, first of all, what's he been doing this year? Because we haven't seen as, as much as we thought we might share uh, in... Uh, in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Correct. Earl was supposed to be running a full season in the GTD category, but funding made that rather not happen this year. He's done Daytona and Sebring. Aside from that, he's done a couple of races in the GT World Challenge Europe Endurance, whatever the full name of the series is. I can never remember it. Um, And he has done a few other races, such as Nürburgring 24, Spa 24. But for Earl, a guy who's used to driving a race car every single weekend, doing the team managing side of things has been a very different role for him. And putting the helmet back on on a race weekend, it it almost makes him back into the person that we know him to be, John. It gives him a new vigor in life. Now, Lawrence Vanter, as I said, he has been a little more gainfully employed this year, both Porsche factory drivers. But at the... Spa 24 in a free accident off the track, actually in what you'd expect to be the relative safety of of the paddock. He was knocked off his scooter by a tyre quad and actually had to spend some time in hospital. Couldn't finish the race. Uh, Potential to affect Le Mans, I suppose only time will tell. Yeah, massively. Lawrence, who's suffering from a broken nose, actually leading into this race, anybody who's had any sort of facial injury will know the pain of thinking of trying to put on a helmet, let alone driving a race car with the G-forces impacting your head for time after time. Now, we're talking about a 24-hour race where potentially Lawrence and Earl could each be responsible for driving as much as nine hours of the race apiece. Lawrence does have an opportunity before Le Mans to re-acclimatize himself to a racing situation, but he has been driving full season with FAF Motorsport, the Canadian team running in IMSA. He did get the win at the Sebring 12 hours earlier this year, so he is on a run of good form, but only one podium so far on the year for Lawrence Vantor. That's not what we're used to seeing from the Belgian champion. Keep an eye on that one because I know even if you just have a a slight cut or a, a little scab or something on your on your face and on your nose, pulling a helmet, a race helmet on which fits, you know, so tightly, it it can be very, very painful indeed. Stitches, facial injuries, and uh, a broken nose for Lawrence. We wish him uh, all the best after that incident. Um, Corvette racing. First time we've seen the C8R at Le Mans because, of course, it didn't go there last year, Cher. It has been across in Europe to at least allow the ACO to gather some data. Only did one of the, the two races that were planned because the schedule changed. 
Tony Garcia, Jordan Taylor, Nicky Katzberg in one of the cars, the 63 and the 64. It's Tommy Milner, Nick Tandy and Alexander Sims. Um, very much what I think we'd expected from the Corvette racing team. I love how dependable, reliant and traditionally loyal these teams are. They run the same drivers at Daytona, Sebring and Le Mans. They bring in the crews that are proven to have gotten the job done before in the past. And the C8R, as you rightly say, making a Le Mans debut, but already with nine or ten wins in the States. Mm. Uh, it's been quite a successful debut for the C8R. Some people would argue that they haven't had the competition necessarily that they have in the past. Well, they have still had to beat other cars in each one of the races that they've competed in this year. They've not been racing just against themselves. And last year, it was still a full six-car grid yeah. for 99% of the races, seven cars for some of the other races, as a matter of fact. So it hasn't been an easy path to success for Corvette, despite what the numbers may say. Now, the 63 would be the favored of the two Corvettes coming into the 24 Hours of Le Mans. They lead the championship in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. They got the win at Daytona earlier this year. So they have the 24-hour experience on their side. But... If you look at the 64 with Tommy Milner, Alexander Sims, and Nick Tandy, that's an intriguing prospect too. Sims has run Le Mans twice, uh, once in an LMP2 machine back in 2012 and once with the BMW program. No finish yet for Sims. He's looking to try and best that. Tandy and Milner, both with their most recent win at Le Mans, coming in the same year, 2015. Tandy getting the overall, Milner getting the class. Yeah, I think Nick uh, would like to have a GT win on his uh, CV as well. Uh, we have, as I intimated, JP, seen the C8R. Uh, Ollie Gavin uh, came out of quote-unquote retirement to run the car. That was at Spa, wasn't it? The, the plan was also to do, to do Portimao, but that got moved around in, in the schedule. What, if anything, do you think Corvette Racing, and indeed possibly more importantly, the FIA and the ACO found out from that? I know Le Mans doesn't run to exactly the same BOP as the, the WEC, the World Endurance Championship, but it was important for Corvette and for the ACO to get some miles under the Michelin tyres of that car. Yeah, I, I think that's true because the balance of performance is issued at the start of every World Endurance Championship weekend. And actually the Corvette has featured on that balance of performance sheet at each of the races after it appeared at Spa. So even though it wasn't at Portimao, oh, really? it wasn't at Monza, it's still listed there. The difficulty, I suppose, in terms of the fine tuning of that car is that it's not turbocharged. It's a normally aspirated five and a half litre V8. So they can't give it a little bit of boost here and there at the various levels. Yeah, good point. So it's going to have to be done, you know, in the more traditional sense. But at least they have run a race and they were closer um, to the to the, their fellow GT competitors than the last time they were in a WEC race, which from memory was was a Cota event, I think. They finished fourth in the Spa race, so actually ahead of the 91 Porsche. Um, mm. And they were well, a lap down. I was about to say still on a lead lap, but no, 152 completed as opposed to Kevin Estra and Neil Yarney that won the opening round of the season that so completed 153 laps. But, you know, that's six hours. They made the finish. And that is six hours. I think one of those as well was a, a function of where the, the overall leader was when time expired. Oh, no, undoubtedly. Yeah, yeah. Undoubtedly, yeah. Because, yeah. I, I mean, it's actually only 24 seconds back from the 52 Ferrari, which finished in in third. Yeah, so, yeah. yes, if, if you take the, 
if you take the hypercars out of it, it probably would have been on the lead lap compared to the 92 Porsche. But yes, uh, six hours and, and one minute of running. And that's all a yeah. massive amount of data that the ACO can take in and use that during uh, race week, during the test as well. I mean, there's nine hours of, of test day to, to, to look at the, the Corvettes too. Mm. We're never going to prevent the odd tweak leading into the race itself, <laughs> but probably, you know, 24 hours before we get going. But at least we're not, oh, not. starting from completely square one. Yeah, indeed so. And, and of the other two manufacturers, uh, we'll talk about Ferrari first in a moment, but Ferrari and, and Porsche have been duking it out in the WEC. Uh, two Ferraris from EF Corsa, two Porsches, <clears throat> excuse me, from Porsche GT team JP. Has the, uh, have the racing gods smiled particularly on the rear mid-engine car or the mid-mid-engine car, the Italians or the, or the Germans manufacturers, or has it been fairly honours even in the, the opening rounds coming up towards Le Mans? It is fairly tough to, to pick a, a better car of those two. And I think the one thing the ACO absolutely want with only uh, with only four cars in that category is they want a fair fight yeah. between the two massive manufacturers. So it's so, so important to get the balance of performance right. As we go into the fourth round of the season, which is the 24 hours of Le Mans, the, the Constructors' Championship between Ferrari and Porsche separated by only seven points. Hmm. So, I mean, that's nice and balanced. You could then look, I suppose, at the, at the team's championship and say, well, Porsche, they won last time out. They won the opening round as well. But they're still only, Estra and Yarni, only a couple of points ahead of Pierre Greedy and James Collado. What we have had, strangely, is only one Porsche doing very well and only yes. one Ferrari doing very well. So that's good in terms of a, a fair fight. But you do ask one or two questions about what's up with the 52 Ferrari and why is the 91 Porsche getting all the bad luck? So, yeah. you know, but that's just circumstances more than anything to do with the officials. No surprises to you, JP, on the, the driver lineups for the 51 and the 52 AF course of Ferrari? Not really. Uh, Ferrari know, know the extra guys they're getting in very well indeed. Um, and, you know, they obviously decided to go with two drivers, even for the long championship round. So, for instance, James Scalado and Alessandro Pierguini wasn't joined uh, by a third driver for um, the, the longer races. But Combe Ledegar comes into the 51 uh, Ferrari to, to join those two that are second in the championship. And Combe really impressed me last year at Le Mans because he was entered into the GTE AM part of the entry and took pole position for Lusich Racing. And, mm. you know, he'd had virtually... Not a lot of running at Le Mans. So to be able to learn the track and then also in hyperpole like, um, dominate so much, it was, that was a mightily impressive lap. Uh, David A. Regon coming back into the, well, renumbered 52 Ferrari. It was always a 71 when he ran it. But Regon and Molina have been teammates before. Daniel Serra is now the constant in that for the season. But these are all guys that are very, very familiar to AF Corsa Ferrari. And the same can be said about uh, within, within Porsche as well. So you've got Fred Makovici coming into the 91 and Michael Christensen joining, rejoining his old teammate Kevin Estra yeah. in the 92 car. Yeah, Jimmy Bruni, um, uh, Richard Leitz and Mako in, in that 91, Kevin Estra, Neil Yanni and Michael Christensen in the 92 there is another car in there and it is another porsche so outside of the uh two sets or two pairs of of works supported cars two f real privateers hub auto racing uh jp um 
running under the uh, Taipei uh, flag there with Dries Vanto, Alvaro Parent uh, and uh, Max Martin, Maxime Martin, the Belgian, in that. Uh, what can you tell us about Hub Auto Racing? We know the drivers. I've, I would presume that most people have heard of those drivers, although Dries is only a gold amongst the the piles <laughs> of platinum drivers in that class. Yes, well, uh, Dries, a former class winner at Le Mans, he's not done that many races. In fact, that was the only race he'd done, and he managed to win it with JMW Motorsport when Will Stevens was part of that Ferrari lineup as well. Hub Auto Racing, uh, a near constant in the Asian Le Mans series, and because they've done so well uh, in the last campaign, they get a, an invitation, therefore, but don't necessarily have to bring their drivers from that championship. And you know, when you get to this level of sports car racing, you want to select three absolute Porsche specialists. Uh, Maxi Martagno has been in Aston Martins more recently, uh, but does know Porsches. Alvaro Parent, possibly more recognised in my mind anyway, with McLaren still. Uh, but, you know, very much. Hub Auto Racing have been actually regular runners in the Asian Le Mans series too, but they're not on the invitation list from winning the championship, from finishing second. It's actually more of a loyalty yeah. entry from the years that they've dedicated to that championship. And I think that, you know, they're going to bring a lot of fans from that part of the world, lots of interest, and the media is always massive uh, because I suppose you could say that entries from, from the Asian Le Mans series are a little more or a little less frequent than the dominance of the world championship and entries from, from the US as well. So I kind of like love these entries because it puts the spotlight on not obvious places around the world and hopefully drums up more interest for the future too. Yeah, and of course we're talking about an entry list that is as declared. We understand that think uh, that things could change and travelling from that part of the world may well uh, be difficult, but good to see the Asian Le Mans series represented in this class and indeed the uh, uh, LMP2. Uh, we'll talk about that in a another show, uh, and GTE um, and, and certainly represents, JP, uh, uh, an awful lot of hard work by the ACO, which took that series back in-house uh, a few years ago now and have really built success upon success despite COVID. Uh, we know now that they're going to run that the, um, the truncated season again in a couple of uh, on a couple of tracks in the UAE, as they did at the start of this year, 2021. Uh, Cyril Tashvelen and uh, now his uh, successor, uh, who has taken that over, I think deserves some credit for for building the ACO brand in in the Asian uh, Asian area for that regional series. No, no, 100%. Because you know it, it needs to have a presence, definitely, um, and an ACO are trying to um, create, you know, a talent pool in lots of different areas around the world. But it, it's Cyril that you mentioned, whose hard work has really got it to that point. And, you know, we were at a phase of being able to produce, or, or they were at a phase of being able to put on four very different race meetings. And then, unfortunately, COVID-19 hits, and it's, it's turned into a single venue championship. That's only a temporary measure. Um, but we can look forward to, you know, exploring well, hopefully a, tr a trip back to Australia or maybe even New Zealand in, in the future. Uh, but there's lots of interest there. The grid continues to it's certainly stabilise to a, a decent number and potential to grow yet further. Mm. And, you know, GTE Am, 
four entries from the Asian Le Mans series and then this hub auto racing entry in pro. Uh, there are others in in the entry as well in the prototype class and it, it's really very exciting. Yeah, Frederick Lecrien, who is the new man at the top of LMEM, has also taken over, LMEM have taken over the responsibilities for uh, that Asian Le Mans series championship and wish them well in that. And as I said, they've already announced that they will go back to a very similar format as we saw at the beginning of this year. Before I leave GTE Pro Share, I want to talk a little bit about the Porsche drivers, um, uh, including one of the Hub Auto drivers. Dries Van Tour tends to win one thing a year. And despite those works drivers in the Porsche GT teams, we have got people in there, remarkably, who haven't yet got a Le Mans, even a Le Mans class win to their name, which I, I find extraordinary. It is staggering when you think of French Porsche drivers not having Le Mans wins associated with them. Uh, we will get to Patrick Pile in another program, but Fred Makovecki has been on pole for the 24 Hours of Le Mans before. That was in an Aston Martin, different brand. Uh, Fred doesn't really talk about those days anymore. No, you got to be all Porsche all the time. But second <laughs> twice for Fred. It's strange, considering he's racing with Richie Leitz, who's got three class wins, and Jimmy Bruni, who's got three class wins, also for another manufacturer. But again, we don't talk about what happened to Jimmy before he came over to Porsche. In the, the other card, Neil Johnny, with the overall win back in 2016, has that to his name. But he has quite a few Le Mans starts. This will be his 15th time in the great race with only one win. Kevin Estra and Michael Christensen both with the win in the Pink Pig alongside Lawrence Vantor a few years ago. So it is a bit strange when you think about the caliber of the Porsche drivers and the distinct lack of victories for them. It doesn't really add up. No. Uh, and Trace, as I said, tends to win something uh, every year, <laughs> either a race or a championship. Um, it might be a, a long shot for him to get... Le Mans this year, but with Max Martin and Anvero Parent, particularly if it rains, you've got three very good rain drivers there. For sure. And Maxi Martin, who got the win uh, last year, again, different manufacturer, uh, but he does know how to get it done in GTE Pro. Alvaro, who has only run Le Mans two times before, uh, both, I believe, in the AM category. So he hasn't had the all-pro lineup sort of a shot like he's got this year. This is definitely by far his best opportunity to get the win. And then Dries winning Le Mans in 2017, Bathurst win in 18. Uh, Nürburgring win in 19 and then a championship last year. So what's it going to be for 2021, Dries? Uh, this is a pretty good opportunity. Yeah, very good. Very good. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, his uh, brother, Lawrence, potentially in the race as well in the same category. When was the last time we had brothers competing against each other in the same category but in the same Manufacturer, uh, quiz question. No, just a bit of fun. Uh, it's uh, Haggerty Radio Le Mans. We're looking at GTE. That was the Pro 8 entries. I'm not going to ask my esteemed colleagues to uh, make any predictions because I think it's wide open there. Um, we'll move rapidly on then to the 23 entries of GTE AM. And uh, again, for uh, no other reason... Uh, then uh, we can. Uh, we will go to, uh, I think, the um, only in this category, a single entry uh, to Le Mans. Everybody else comes uh, comes from either the World Endurance Championship, the European Le Mans Championship, or the Asian 
Le Mans Championship. I don't think there's any WeatherTech. No, there aren't any WeatherTech uh, in, in the amp. So absolute racing happens to be the lowest number as well in the Porsche 911 RSR 19. We'll talk about them in just a moment. It's Haggerty Radio Le Mans, and we're looking next then at GTE AM for 2020. Right then, so that Porsche, uh, Absolute, uh, China, Ingo Matler's team, Ingo and Andrew Harianto have been in you for quite some time. And Andrew, along with Alessio uh, Picariello and Marco Seyfried, JP, have been racing. This might be a singleton entry as far as Le Mans concerned uh, in this Porsche for Absolute, the number 18 car. But no shortage of experience there behind the wheel. Well, indeed not. And no shortage of experience this season in the World Endurance Championship. Because if you look a little closer, as far as the drivers are concerned, Andrew Harianto was at Spa for the WEC and was at Monza. Same goes for Alessio Picariello. And Marco Seyfried has done all three of the opening rounds. The yeah. difference is that was in the 88 Dempsey Proton Racing Porsche. And a little bit of research has actually told me that effectively that is a proton run car ah. with we understand some assistance from some chinese based mechanics so absolute racing obviously you know that is a an in-house um initiative back at home in china so there's a there's a meeting really of the, of the two teams together but it is flagged as chinese quite rightly so and it will be called the absolute racing porsche but you can sort of think about that as the 88 car it's just that it won't be scoring points in the WEC as they move across. And we have got an 88 in the race that we'll get to in due course. But yeah, those that have followed the WEC to this point will know those three drivers very well. Um, Absolute Racing uh, based at Shanghai Circuit. Uh, We did an inside story with them a few years ago. Ingo Matter, an absolutely brilliantly enthusiastic member of any paddock that he's in. As I say, he's based himself in Europe for quite some time to avoid potential issues about travelling backwards and forwards. Quite a lot of rookies this year, uh, 48 uh, in total, uh, which is uh, just over a quarter share of the field. Uh, And this car contributing to that quite high percentage. Yes, with uh, Picarello and Harianto, both as newbies to the race. Marco Seyfried, only one previous start in the 24 Hours of Le Mans. But that came back in 2015 when he ran alongside Patrick Dempsey and Patrick Long and made it onto the podium in this category. So if you're looking for a potential sneaky favorite car, this one just might be able to be there at the end of the race. Well, might as well, as we started with the Porsche, we'll stay with the Porsches and uh, run through GT uh, Am. So the next one on my list is the number 46, part of uh, a two-car entry from Team Project One. Now, Team Project One go back a very, very long way. Porsche Carrera Cup and Super Cup back in the early 1990s, if memory serves. It used to be called Tolimit Racing. Uh, The 46 and the 56, both WEC entries, Johnny Palmer. How have they done in 2021? Uh, yeah, I didn't start so well at Spa in the WEC because um, one car was out before they even got to the qualifying session after a crash in the free practice. That was the 46. 
And I remember you and I were calling the qualifying session on the Saturday and the Digio Perfetti went out as the bronze, as uh, you have to do in the kind of standard WEC races. It's the bronze that qualifies and on cold tyres lost the car at Radion Uh, and it was a huge crash into the tyres and that put put, uh, the sister car out as well, number 56. So they've really been recovering from that. It actually put the 46 out of the next round at Portimao as well as they were sourcing a new chassis. And finally, we saw both cars on the grid at Monza. But um, I think that's going to be, if anything, just their difficulty is, is the lack of running to this point. But, but the drivers are uh, very impressive indeed. Anders Buchart, who's been uh, from, the, from the, the start of the season part of their lineup, and he is the, the bronze rated driver. So I suppose you could argue uh, the, the least experienced of the three, 47 years old from Norway, and started racing actually as part of the Nürburgring 24 hours um, over 10 years ago now, but uh, has moved to ACO rules racing for the first time this year. Um, Max Root in the 46, probably Shay's better place to, mm. to, to talk about Max, having witnessed him racing in the flesh. But I, I'm immediately a fan of his. He's a silver rated driver and, I, you know, I think promises much at this stage of his career. Uh, Dennis Olsen. Just, I mean, Dennis is just a, a, so talented. He's a real character out of the car as well. Fellow Norwegian to Anders Buchart, um, knows a GT3 car so, so well. And I'm not surprised, you know, that he's been recognised as, again, as a Porsche specialist to be put into the Team Project One car number 46. Yeah, um, Porsche, a young professional driver, also a Red Bull racing simulator uh, driver as well. Max Root with the Stars and Stripes alongside. We know Max. We know Max in <laughs> Porsches as well, Shay. He uh, made a bit of a uh, a name for himself in the what was then the um, uh, GT3 Cup uh, in North America. Um, this is a great opportunity for him with Team Project One and with the two Danish drivers. It really is. Max Root, who was the uh, Hurley Haywood Scholarship winner when they lured him away from the open wheel path of things to come into racing Porsches. He finished second in the championship in 2018, fourth in 2019 when there was a bit more competition that second year. Uh, But Max Root has been doing a lot of racing in the World Challenge Series. He won the AM Championship with Fred Pordat, I believe it was, last year for Wright Motorsport, and then went over and raced Le Mans last year, made his debut, but that was in a Ferrari. The Prancing Horse is a very different logo than the uh, Stuttgart crest that he's used to, although both do have the Prancing Horse on the inside of it. Um, Anorex can look that up online. But Max Root, he had a good Le Mans last year. He learned how the flow of the race goes. This year, it's definitely more of a competitive role for him. He's expected to be more of the semi-pro in the lineup, whereas last year, he was more learning the ropes. So it is a different expectation. Lucky for him, though, Dennis Olsen does very well in odd years in endurance (laughs) races and championships. He was the Carrera Cup Deutschland champion in 2017 and the IGTC champion in 2019, courtesy of that very famous Bathurst win overall in 2019. So, uh, yeah, could be a good year for this car. Quick run through the drivers in the other cars. We'll see Italian Matteo Caroli uh, and Italians uh, Matteo Caroli and Riccardo Pera. And the man at the head of Perfetti Famele, uh, which is the third largest uh, confectionery and gum manufacturer after Mondelez International and Mars. Um, that Mentos, one of their big brands, and that's Egidio Perfetti, JP. Um, Egidio has been improving his driving in the last few years. He is the gentleman 
Uh, he's uh, great as a gentleman driver, but no less competitive because of that. No, certainly not, and really helped out by the fact that I mean his CV CV now reads world champion in GTE Am that he won with Jörg Bergmeister and uh, Patrick Lindsay in the 2018-2019 season. That was also with Team Project One, so a uh, uh, good bit of experience with the team, knows Axel Funke's establishment very well too. Um, and, you know, was it a surprise for him to win the champion that, uh, that championship that early on? Because he'd only been in the previous year, 2018, I think he did uh, Le Mans in that event, and that was pretty much it. So the first forceful entry into the WEC and goes and wins it. But I remember in 2016, the first time I, I saw him in a race, that was with uh, Julian Andlauer, I think, in yes. a, a Porsche GT3 car that had the Mentos branding on it then. That was the first ever year of the Michelin GT3 Le Mans Cup, as it was then. They didn't yes. have LMP3s in it. I it commented was purely with a GT. you on one of yeah. those down in Portugal, didn't we? We did uh, yes. at the end of the season. Yes, I remember that. that there we are. So, um, yeah, it, it, that was really his introduction into ACO rules racing. But he'd raced GT3 cars prior to that and also Carrera Cup France, Carrera Cup Asia, um, even some Super Cup races as well. So he's, he's obviously a Porsche man through and through. Um, interesting kind of uh, heritage of his family as well, because he's Norwegian uh, by the flag on his belt, but born in Serengo in Switzerland and, and speaks with a sort of very Italian sounding accent. But Serengo is not that far away from the border, in fact. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, and Perfetti's, you know, Daniele Perfetti in the past, his brother has been a British GT champion. So racing, and particularly with Egidio Porsches, clearly run well, very strongly in the blood. And his younger brother, Ambrosio, is in the uh, Porsche uh, challenge uh, presented by. Cayman, uh, the the Cayman Islands in the UK at the moment in the GT4 uh, Porsche Caymans, and in fact yeah. I think he won that championship last year and is going for it again this year. So it's clearly in the blood, as you rightly say. What about um, Ricardo Pera and Matteo Caroli, the two Italians there? Yeah, uh, Pera, I'm a, I'm a big fan of. Still only 22 years old. He hails from Luca really? and was a 2016. He's yeah. been around forever, 26. hasn't he? It seems like he has. Uh, five years ago, he was a GT Italia champion in their Cayman Cup, actually, uh, winning that individual part of the championship. And then into the European Le Mans series with Ebi Motors, another Italian team who liked to run Porsches. That was three years ago. Um, first entered the WEC in the 18-19 season. Matteo Cairoli, he was part of the winning lineup in the Nürburgring 24 hours, that significantly shortened race. But obviously, I mean, you know, they, they were a, a clearly a favourite team, Manti Racing, at the start of that event and managed to, to dodge the, the rain showers and come through to be victorious. Porsche Carrera Cup Italia uh, back in 2014. I mean, he's been racing, if you count his Formula Renault career, as early as 2012, Cairoli, still yeah. only 25. Oh. How's that possible? Yeah. Absolutely. Good team. Good looking team. I want to stay with you, JP, because there's a story behind the next Porsche I want to talk about. It's the number 69 car. It comes courtesy of finishing uh, well up in the championship in the Asian Le Mans series for Herbeth Motorsport. Um, a relatively familiar to us who do the Creventic Hankook 24-hour series lineup of Ralph Bohn uh, from Germany, the Swiss driver Rolf Ineischen, and Robert Renauer, which is a change to what I saw uh, earlier on because I saw Alberts 
name in there. And I also Alfred. saw... Alfred. Uh, sorry, Alfred, thank you. Um, uh, Alfred's name in there. They are twins. That is that is, is the Renard twins. And they, they do often race together rather um, confusingly for Joe Bradley and anybody else who's down in our Pertlian report. And I also saw a Ferrari next to that at one stage because I was told they couldn't get a Porsche. How, what's happened here? Well, uh... For me, they were only ever going to include one of the twins in the driver lineup because right. obviously then you sneak in the second one during the night, <laughs> make it a four driver lineup, and it's a lot easier to do as far as the tired, tiredness levels are concerned. That would be my plan. That, anyway, they are, they are identical I am twin, twins. He is children, <laughs> but they are very difficult to tell apart, in fairness. But, the, but however, the FIA driver ratings can tell them apart because Alfred is a silver. Roberts are gold. Mm. So you could you could have had them in the same car with Ralph Bone as the bronze. For me, the one thing that's changed is that Rolf and Eichen has been brought in. Now, what it wouldn't be possible to have done would have been to run both in Eichen and Alfred Renauer, unless you run with two silvers. And that seems to be a bit of a, a missed opportunity. So, I mean, this is something to find out during test day, during race week as well. But I just wonder whether Rolf and Eichen... They, they've switched the silvers over. Is that because he's been able to source a Porsche, which right. is the preferred car, really, for them? You know, the, the, the years of, of success that they've had at Herbert. And the deal is, I find the car, but I also have to drive it as well. I mean, it would be great to, to get to the bottom of that. And I've made sure, even at this stage, this far out from the race week, that we've got contact details, you know, to kind of make sure that we can get in touch with Alfred, who I'm sure will be there. He'll probably be running some of the strategy, actually, for the team. And we can find out. But um, I think they, the ideal situation was to source a Porsche GTE car because that's where their heart is. And they've managed yeah. to do that. Uh, uh, and the reason they couldn't have one is that there was, quote unquote, not another customer car available. And that's why there's a little bit of a question mark about where that car has come from. Because as far as we know, it wasn't a new build car. So it's been either priced out of someone else's hands who isn't going to Le Mans, either as a buy or a rental. Or it's materialised from another championship, or or what? Or maybe Rolf just had one in his connection. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, he does have um, Porsche history, Rolf and Nation. It was a surprise to me that Herbert, who have such a rich history and loyalty with Porsche, couldn't uh, couldn't source one. But if one didn't exist, then I, I don't think it was a case of Porsche saying, "Oh, we've got one, but we're not letting you have one." Um, it's just the fact that there wasn't another one. Uh, ready at the time. Uh, so more to find out on that one. Uh, number 77 next is the first of the Proton cars. This one, the Dempsey Proton 77. 88 uh, and 99, also Proton or Dempsey Proton uh, entries. Share Adam, uh, a couple of Antipodeans here from the WEC, this entry. Uh, Matt Campbell and Jackson Evans uh, representing uh, Australia and New Zealand. Um, actually, uh, New Zealand and Australia. No, I've got the right way around. Plus Christian Reed, the ever-present, uh, the man behind Proton Racing. Uh, that is, Christian is the quote-unquote gentleman driver. That's a strong entry in a Pro-Am category. 
Very strong. And it's also noteworthy that this is the only car in the GT category, including Pro and Am, that has a reserve driver listed against the name for test day or a test day driver. Ah. That being Michael Fassbender, who's going to be running in the 77 Dempsey Proton racing car for the nine hours of running on the Sunday before the race. But yes, Matt Campbell and Jackson Evans sharing a car, sharing a flat back in Stuttgart, uh, the roommates. Jackson Evans making his Le Mans debut, which I would have guessed incorrectly. I feel like he's been around for long enough now, but it's two Carrera Cup Australia champions, Campbell having won it in 16, Evans in 18, joining together with Christian Reed, who has one Le Mans win to his 12, well, 11 previous starts. This will be his 12th start. But Christian did get that ELMS GT championship last year. So riding a bit of momentum for him, as far as the car is concerned, though, John, this year has not gone super well for the 77. DNF at Spa and at Portimao, fifth at Monza, but it's been a slightly better campaign for Reed in the European Le Mans series than anything else. Uh, uh, the the point that Jay makes there about Fassbender coming in as a test driver, presumably, JP, to get a few laps. We know that Michael, the uh, actor, of course, by pr- profession, um, been subject of a couple of documentaries and a lot of investment by Porsche. Um, not unique in that over the last few years. They're very clever about getting their publicity machine behind some of these, uh, some of these uh, well-known Porsche ambassadors. Uh, but with Jackson Evans being a rookie, he's got laps to get in as well there. So in some ways, a bit odd that, that Michael Fassbender has been. Um, put in as a reserve driver for test day in that car and not another one of the Porsches. Yeah, his regular drive is in the European Le Mans series. So we're not going to see the uh, the 91 Porsche that normally runs in ELMS in the uh, emerald green colours. And, and yet, yeah, it was, it's really a question of whether it go, he goes into the 77 or the 88. Now, to my mind, the 88 is more, or indeed the 99, isn't it? Mm. The other two cars... I think are treated more as customer programs. So if Christian Reed, ah. whose team it is, then says to a customer yes. uh, trio, by the way, can I just put my driver in during test day for a, you know an hour or so? I think there'll be one or two grumpy uh, parties in that respect. So uh, Christian trusts Fassbender. Yes, he he kind of gathered headlines last year for one or two. Well, actually, only one moment. He had he went off during qualifying. I remember at uh, Le Castellet. There were two other incidents where one of them somebody drove into him. And yeah. He couldn't really have done nothing about that no. at all. He was involved in an incident not of his own making uh, later on in the season, possibly at Monza. Uh, but uh, that one at Le Castellet really sticks in my mind. And that's been it. You know, he's found a, a decent lap pace to run at. And there is marked improvement. So I don't think Christian's going to have any bones about giving Fassbender some time during test day. Uh, that car will be absolutely fine, I'm sure. It's not as if they probably need a whole lot of setup time. Um, I'm sure they'll be getting yeah. all the relevant information that's required for that RSR at 19. So keep an eye on that one. Possibly a famous face in there on test day, which, of course, uh, we have the exclusive live coverage of that and we will in fact be on the air on Haggerty Radio Le Mans via RS1 at RadioLeMans.com for every single moment that the 24-hour cars are out on track and we're the only broadcaster that can say that so keep your eyes and ears open on the website from the 15th of August Sunday the 15th is test day Uh, and here on Haggerty Radio Le Mans we are looking at 
uh, GTE amp. Let's crack off the other two Dempsey or Proton M uh, Dempsey or Dempsey Proton uh, entries. Julian Andler, Lance David Arnold, Dominic Bastian in the 88, uh, and from the ELMS uh, in the 99 we have uh, Pat Long from the United States, uh, Philippe uh, Fernandez Lazar from Germany, and Jean-Luc Girodi. JP, take us through those. You cover both of those for us on RSL. Yeah, um, so the yeah the 99, effectively an entry from the ELMS, but I think it's only Fernandez Laza who's been racing with the aforementioned Michael Fassbender. Uh, Jean-Luc Girardi, from time to time, will feature in the ELMS, and he also has done the odd WEC race as well, in tend to, tending to be the, the 88 car. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how uh, Girardi gets on, because no, no doubt about it, the more seat time he's getting, the quicker he is and, and more experienced he's becoming too, uh, and realises you know, that he is the, the, the bronze in that combination. So... The quicker that he can go, but safely at the same time, the more likely they are to, to get a good result. Felipe fernandez Laza, I'm for more, more familiar with his exploits around the Nürburgring Nordschleife, uh, yeah. racing all sorts of GT3 machinery. Um, and Pat Long really needs no introduction. I, I, Shay will have a figure on this. I dread to think how many Le Mans he's done to this point, but uh, you know he'll, he'll <laughs> know the place around. There you go. Sweet 16. <laughs> Sweet 16. So he could he just shut his eyes for most of his stint and he'll know where he's going. <laughs> um, but yeah, he'll be reserved in the 99 for the, for the really important stints towards the end, probably a lot of the night time. And then the, the kind of closing couple of hours, I would imagine. The 88, um, you can use all those comments that I've just put in for Patrick Long for Julian Andlauer. Now, Julian is much uh, is fairly younger than uh, Patrick Long, 22 years old, um, and a former champion in the Carrera Cup France, and then he went on to win the Deutschland version of that Carrera Cup championship two years later. Um, not surprising that, that he, you know, highly rated at Porsche as far as the customer teams are concerned and managed to win the Dubai 24 yes. hours this year. Seems a long time ago now. GPX Racing uh, took victory that in January. Also in the 88, Lance David Arnold, again, someone with pedigree, around uh, the Nordschleife at the wheel of Mercedes. I'm um, pretty sure he has raced Porsches in the past, but not as much as the uh, three-point star. He did star. Super Cup. He definitely oh, did he? Did Super okay. Cup. Yeah, there some you go. time ago. Right, well, yes, so, so uh, certainly we'll know Porsches. Um, with the engine over the rear, behind the rear axle, there's uh, some adjustment to this car, though, sure. which will behave you know, more differently. And then Dominic Bastian who is now the grand old age of 75 years old, returning again to, to <laughs> yes, there's hope for you yet, Heindorf. Um, I remember was in the race last year as well, breaking the heart of a certain Mark Patterson, who is desperate to be the oldest ever entrant at Le Mans. The problem for Mark is he's got, he's got about six years to catch up with Dominic Bastian. So there needs to be a few more trips to Circuit de la Sarte for, uh, for the South African yet. Yeah, but that's the, surely that's the best way to justify it. No, no, sorry, love. I've got to go back because I'm still not the oldest. So I've got to exactly. keep going. So I, I think that works uh, for me. That year is almost all uh, of the Porsches. Um, the 86 car is the final Porsche, uh, and we're not going to miss this one out. It's uh, all, un all under the union flag. Uh, GR Racing, we've known them as a couple of different things down through the years. Michael Wainwright, Mike Wainwright, uh, the driving force behind this. He's been alongside Ben Barker in a number of adventures down through the years. They are a WEC 
uh, entrant. And Tom Gamble brought into that one as well, JP, for a, a very red, white and blue uh, Brit to get behind the number 86 type of entry. I'm really looking forward to seeing how Tom gets on because he's uh, a young man who's come out of the Ginetta program effectively in the UK mm. in the Ginetta Junior Championship, won that in 2017, then went on into single seaters, again, British based in 2018 and discovered GT racing. It feels like the following year uh, with a run with Tom Ferrier's uh, outfit running Aston Martins in the Michelin Le Mans Cup. But he's since... Uh, been discovered by United Autosports. They were well aware, I'm sure, of what he was doing. He's uh, 19 years old, but became an ELMS champion last year at LMP3 level um, and drove, I mean, like he'd been doing it for years, really, uh, you know, belying his kind of silver status. And now he's into LMP2s with United Autosports. But thankfully, there's been obviously an agreement that there wasn't the opportunity for Tom to, to race one of the LMP2s at Le Mans. So GR Racing have snapped up his services, and, and you can understand why. The team is owned by uh, Mike Wainwright, who, for those who have been following the World Endurance Championship for a number of years, you know that name will resonate, certainly, because he used to drive the Porsche that was livered in the, in the golf colours, the, the sky blue with the, the orange body stripe, but now it, it's a kind of very menacing black with the orange piping. Shea calls it the dark well. side of the force, the dark side of the Porsche, okay. I suppose we could call it. We can call it that, yes. And then you've got Ben Barker, who, um, well, first of all, I remember him in Porsche Carrera Cup GB, mm-hmm. and that's where he made his name uh, winning that title. But as part of one of the, their championship rounds, they actually ran at Le Mans. I don't know if you remember, if you remember this, John. Uh, there was a, uh, we the Porsche support race. That, weren't we? we were, yeah. Was and that one with the bonkers the... last lap? There were, I think, 62 Porsches in that race, a combination of British, French, German entries and a ridiculous last lap where, yeah, a lot of the kind of key people for the best part of an hour um, hit an incident and Ben just drove through it all. I mean, he needed to be in the right place to benefit, but but ended up winning that race. And um, he he does a lot of driver coaching these days for, for young kids coming through, but can still be so good. And he takes charge of that GR Racing Porsche. Yeah, that was the uh, that was Paul Robe and the Par Racing uh, Porsche that uh, won there from the guys from down at Gatwick Porsche specialists in uh, in road cars and and racing cars. Well, that's your Porsches. You're listening to Haggerty Radio Le Mans. That was the voice of Johnny Palmer, Shea Adam and me, John Hindorf as well. And we've still got a whole host, a herd of prancing horses, Ferraris. But next. We'll take a look at the Aston Martins. TF Sport number 33. Uh, WEC entrance also uh, getting an entry uh, on the basis of being the winners from last year. 33 and 95, their two cars. And the 33 car has one Ben Keating in it, Shea, along with Felipe Fraga from uh, Brazil. And Dylan Pereira uh, is in that car as well. Uh, ben Keating, of, of all... That's a Luxembourg driver, Dylan Pereira, of course. Uh, ben Keating, who I could listen to reading the phone book, to be honest. has got that very mellifluous uh, Texan accent. Um, 
he might think that, that he, he could do with a little bit more look at, at this race. Is, is, is this potentially with these two drivers a, a year that he can get on the podium or even better? Oh, yes, for Ben Keating. It's his seventh attempt at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. He was disqualified in 2019, but knows what it's like to stand on the top step having done that. But he's also been on the podium one other time before. He was third in 2018 as well. Felipe Fraga is a guy who's been his partner in crime in the World Endurance Championship. It's going to be a weird sensation, though, seeing him come up against Jerome Bleekemolen, who's racing in a Ferrari in the same category. Um, But for Ben, this is the race. This is the one that he wants. He's got the unfinished business. And his true love in terms of endurance racing is the Daytona 24 hours. The Rolex to him is so much fun that he drives in two different cars. He's not allowed to drive in multiple cars in Le Mans. One is good enough for him. And this Aston Martin this year as a championship effort this it takes on a different meaning than perhaps in years past now keep in mind two years ago he ran in the ford gt last year he ran in a porsche this year he's in an aston martin the year before that actually he was in an lmp2 car and before that he's been in a viper so ben keating doesn't often repeat manufacturers at Le Mans. every year it's a brand new learning experience for him I, I, I said actually two TF Sport entries. There, there are actually, uh, in point of fact, JP, there's three because there's the triple seven D station, Aston Martin as well, which I'll, I'll 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 connect the dots with that, or I'll let you connect the the dots with that. TF Sport is named uh, for the the initials of Tom Ferrier, former racing driver who's become very successful, won Le Mans uh, last year. That's where they get one of their entries from. Their second TF Sport branded car, the ninety five. He's, it comes out with the ELMS with John Hartshorn behind uh, the wheel and with two very, very impressive British core drivers. Again, this is an all British lineup. Yeah, Ross Gunn, uh, first of all, who was a 2015 British GT champion with Beach Dean AMR. And, uh, you know, that's where the real foundation of the relationship with Aston Martin began, I think, six mm. years ago, because. Uh, you know, he he then became an employee of Aston Martin Racing, driving their cars uh, wherever he was asked to go, effectively. And he lives not far away from uh, from Pro Drive in Buckinghamshire. Um, so yeah, he's raced um, with a variety of of different teammates, mainly at a, a customer level, um, but not solely Aston Martins, because I've noticed a, a Garage Fifty Nine entry as well at Spa Twenty Four Hours. Uh, where, uh, no, that was an Aston Martin as well, actually, the 188 car as it ran uh, that year. So Ross, very talented still, you know, uh, uh, early 20s, 24 years old and looking forward to uh, another 24 hours of Le Mans. He, his first came in 2017 and he's been an ever present since then. Then you've got in that car uh, Ollie Hancock, who very much comes from a racing family. Brother Sam competes and dad as well. I think I've seen in classic Formula Fords through the years around the UK circuit. So uh, Ollie Hancock, uh, a real enthusiast. He was a Formula Renault champion um, 2008. And John Hartshorn, actually an ELMS champion in that weird year in 2012, where we all went to Donington Park to see what we thought was going to be the second round of the year. And it was pretty much the final round of the year. And actually the season ended at Petit Le Mans. Mans. Yes, exactly. Well, many, many months later, but he won um, the LMPC category uh, at the end of that season. And, you know, has raced probably every GT manufactured car under the sun. Um, And again, you know, he, he knows the pace that he can produce 
and it's about identifying the stints that he's going to be doing. He, like everybody else in the race, will have to do a minimum of six hours, uh, and they'll they'll work out where John slots into that uh, into the scenario probably fairly early on in the race. Um, and he just loves it. That's the thing, you know. He's so enthusiastic. The other TF run car, although with a little bit of help from, um, it's, it's again a joint effort from D Station Racing, D apostrophe Station Racing, which is a, a Japanese uh, company, and it is the triple seven, a very auspicious uh, number there. Um, that's Satoshi Hoshino, uh, Tomonobu uh, Fuji. Is that the right way to say it? With the I d- think so. I, I'm bowing to, to my co-commentator, Bruce Jones, is great to knowledge, but with the Fuji Speedway with a single I, Tomonobo spells his surname with two I's. So let's go with Fuji. Fuji. Uh, and Andrew Watson, yeah. uh, another, at least certainly was an, an Aston Martin junior at one stage in his uh, career. Um, this is an interesting one again, out of the, the WEC and, and D-Station um, been successful for for Aston Martin in some of the uh, the Japanese championships. Uh, had other links with Aston Martin as well, but good to see them on the WEC and therefore the Le Mans the Le Mans entry as well. Yeah, uh, Satoshi Hoshino effectively is the station. It's uh, his company, and he, he's raced in the past with flying lizards actually in the states. Done a Dubai twenty four hours at least one in 2015 uh, but then became more more recognized with d-station from 17 onwards and uh, you know a variety of different championships including the wec in 2018 and 19 uh, andrew watson has raced uh, mclaren's in the past again someone who came out of the uh, Janetta junior program in the uk though they moved up into super cup for a couple of years uh, and then the, the natural step to gt racing international gt open is actually what he started with he's from northern ireland 26 years old so he's there silver and then you've got tomonobo fuji who is a superstar in super gt in oh, yeah. japan um and has raced in that championship since 2005 actually so uh, we're over 15 years uh, that he has been present on that grid and i just thoroughly enjoy watching tomonobu who's normally put in for the opening stint in a wec race which is strange because a lot of other teams go with their bronze actually for the first hour or so but what that means is you know even though at times the aston treble seven has had to start from the back the overtaking starts straight away for the for the 40 year old japanese and he's just so great to watch it was really unfortunate to, at portimao that that car was suffering from tire problems uh, and locking always in the same position on the front left, I remember, and they had to bring the car in. But um, if that hadn't struck, they were on course, no doubt for a podium and quite possibly for a win. So, as we said, that's uh, another offshoot of uh, of Tom Ferrier. There is one other Aston Martin racing. You'll have noticed we didn't mention Aston Martin racing in the pro part of GTE for Le Mans 2021 on this Haggerty Radio Le Mans uh, preview because there isn't effectively an Aston Martin racing anymore however we have got an Aston Martin racing entered car um I haven't actually got to the bottom of of who's running uh, this and and where the the team comes from so I'm not sure whether Shea or, or Johnny can shed some light on that it has some very heavy duty names involved in this including welcoming back uh, to GTE Am 
um, the dear Nicky team. And the last time he was in this category, he won it. Uh, Marcos Gomes from the uh, from Brazil, and Paul De La Lana flying the Maple Leaf of Canada. And if Ben Keating feels this race might owe him something, um, times that by about ten for Paul De La Lana. Here. <laughs> The only Canadian in the field this year feels very strange to be saying that for Paul Dallalana. His ninth attempt at the 24 Hours of Lamar. Best finish previously was sixth in 2014. Now, this is a guy who's been leading with about 45 minutes to go and had just the most awful luck in this race. He's got wins at pretty much every other WEC track on the calendar prior to this year except for Lassarth. Uh, this is the track that has evaded him. But the former champion in this category, 2017, a Bathurst winner. He's been a champion uh, back in the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge, back when that ran. He's been in WEC for such a long time. I'm not going to pick him and jinx him again. I can't do that to my Lake Rosso neighbor. Uh, but Marcos Gomez joining in with the crew for his second Le Mans. He DNF'd last year in his first attempt, but he's been a bit of a Ferrari ace for a few years now and somebody who can always come in and snag a pole position away. And the Nikki team needs no introduction, very much like Patrick Long. As you rightly say, last time he won and last time he ran GTEM, he came away with a class win. That was in 2014 with the Dane train. Maybe the reason that they're running under the Aston Martin name is because they have all of the equipment already printed with the name on it so maybe it's just trying to bring back a little bit of that spirit and it was aston martin racing the last time that nikki won in this category he's been a champion in the wec three separate times in what seven years worth of running previously he's a guy who's very very good i i should just elucidate on what i said uh, and expand a wee bit because aston martin racing of course still does it uh, uh, uh exist as an entity they don't race works cars they support customers uh that's what aston martin racing does which was uh, is a, a quite a big a big distinction uh, all right let's uh, move on to some ferraris now have i ticked off all the astons yes i have uh, so we will jump into the number 47 uh, this is a wc wec entry and uh, i there's got to be a very, uh, a very good espresso machine in their pits, uh, JP, because it could not really get very much more Italian than Chetela Racing. Certainly not. Um, and also, you know, in the ch- in the days when I could actually go into garages and speak openly with teams, <laughs> the real sort of, which are days that I miss, unfortunately. But there we are. That's the situation we're in. Um, the real family feeling within Chetelar Racing is so present. I think that's a very Italian thing as well, uh, but they are definitely family run. Um, doing so well in the World Endurance Championship currently as, uh, too, because they are leading the championship in GTEM by a couple of points from Alessio Rivera, Francois Perodo, and Nicholas Nielsen, a trio we'll talk about very, very shortly. Didn't have the ideal or far from the ideal home race at Monza last time out. So, Unfortunately, a chance to kind of build that championship lead uh, went out of the window fairly early on. But what they've done is built on a, a very good, a stable foundation and introduced a certain Antonio Fuoco into their lineup. So Roberto Lacorte, Giorgio Cernagiotto, they've been part of Cetilar Racing, whether they've been running a GT car or in the past they have run a Delara 
in LNP2 at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. So that's a stable partnership. Le Corte is the bronze and Sonagiotto being the silver rated driver, uh, 40 years old from Treviso. But he's a, a former GT Italia um, champion with uh, with Iron Links. Again, a name you'll hear about a bit more in a moment or two. Antonio Fuoco is he's been a ferrari been... development driver hasn't he and he was a he was a yes. single seated driver uh, i think he raced formula two for was that Cherus back in the day i've got him as a gt3 G, sorry gp3 uh, driver with carlin in 2015 right. then fia formula two with Prima racing Oof. And well, then Cherus the following year. Oh, yeah, bang on with that. One Charouz of the years I was system. watching. <laughs> mm. That was to be the year I was watching. <laughs> Still only 25, another driver yeah. who has a lot of uh, experience under his belt, although not necessarily, you know, in 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 sports cars, although he's, he's, been, in, he, he's been looking at sports cars now for a season or two. Yeah, well, um, Tretilar Racing's um, car is effectively run by, by AF Corsa, and with AF Corsa, he was a GT Italia champion in the Pro-Am category uh, two years ago. But what's interesting for me is that um, the hypercar entry for Ferrari, not that far away now. And they're going to be looking at drivers now, you would imagine. Now, oh, yeah. with everybody, with the drivers in the AF Corsa GT Pro um, cars, all north of 30 years old, still very, very capable. But, you know, where's the next wave of Ferrari driver coming from? If it's not in Formula One, then you're looking at people like Fuoco. So uh, could he be a potential? Yeah, and there will be other names that we mentioned in this programme and you'll hear us talk about as well if you listen to our prototype programme that will fit into that Mm. category as well. Time of great change uh, in uh, all of the categories, actually, with a, a lot of changes coming up, not just in uh, the prototype. So, so that's Chetilar Racing, which is part of, uh, is run under the auspices of Amato Ferrari, no relation, uh, and AF Corsa. We've said this before, Johnny, but uh, Ferrari don't have what one could call a works GT team. If they did, it would very much look like AF Corsa because that is a huge organisation. They run scores of cars, and I mean that, scores of cars across different championships uh, all over the world in GTE, GT3, GT4, uh, you name it, they run it. Uh, They have cars cars under their own banner as well, notably the 54 and the 83. We might as well talk about them next. Giancarlo Fisichella took a wee while to settle into into GT racing when he first came over. That seems a, a very long time ago now. He's got uh, fellow Italian uh, Frankie Castellacci uh, alongside him with Thomas Fleur uh, in, uh, again, Hop Suisse. Still congratulately uh, obliged to say that for my late mother-in-law. Uh, Thomas Fleur uh, in that car. And in the other AF Corsa, uh, Nicholas Nielsen, Francois Perodo, the very fast Frenchman with whom I shared a racing circuit with uh, with recently. I won't say I raced him, but I was on the same track as him. And Alessio Rivera. The two AF Corsa cars, again, both from the WEC, JP. Yeah, well, the Fleur, Castellacci and Fisichella combination has actually existed at Le Mans since 2018 now. So 18, 19, 20, 21, a fourth year where everything theoretically stays the same. 
Um, so I think that can only be a good thing. It's been the case in the World Endurance Championship as well. They get their entry because they are in, entered in the World Championship. Um, I think this could be a very, very strong car, the Vistajet-sponsored machine, because that's Thomas Fleur's uh, company. Castellacci is a very fast silver-rated driver. It's just that he hasn't won anything big enough yet to make him a goal, but that's useful for the team because yes. you know the, 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 the sneaky silvers can win and lose you a race, and then Fittichella, with all his Formula One experience, um, is is so reliable when it gets uh, later on in the race. But but he can offer some. I mean, he's been coaching Castellacci really for about those four years that I mentioned, and uh, you can see that in in the improvement from Francesco. Sure, I said that uh, it seemed uh, quite a long time since Fizzy came over to to sports cars. I remember in the European Le Mans series. Um, I might have been the WEC actually, or the Forerunner Two ILMC at uh, Ricard, not having a great time of it when he first came in. You're telling me that was eleven years ago. Mm-hmm. His sports car debut oh, God, was in two thousand and ten. Uh, after doing 229 races in Formula One with three wins, 19 podiums. And by the way, he is one of ooh, 17 drivers in the field with F1 experience, uh, totaling just under 1,000 starts and 11 wins and 63 podiums. So not a bad showing for ex-Formula One drivers, but by far Fizzy's uh, success outweighs all of the rest of them. He's got the two Le Mans wins, the two petite Le Mans wins, ELMS champ of the past. Uh, he's settled into sports cars, but as you rightly say, it took him a while. Once he figured it out, though, he figured it out well. And I agree with Johnny. This is going to be a car to watch for the win this year. All right. So that's the 54 AF uh, Corsa car. What about then, JP, uh, the uh, United Nations or the uh, European Union of sports car drivers? Uh, Italian team with an Italian, a Frenchman. Uh, and Nicholas Nelson, rec- uh, Nelson uh, representing Scandinavia and Denmark. They could win this race as well, <laughs> I think. <laughs> that's, that's probably not the only time you're going to hear that phrase for the rest of this show. Um, no, but because they are, they're actually entered in both the WEC and the ELMS with a slight tweak to their, their driver lineup, but Perodo is such a strong bronze. And it's, for me, the bronze category where you get the biggest variation of driving ability. It's not like being a platinum where you're talking about, you know, tenths, hundredths of seconds between the drivers. You could be five seconds a lap apart, actually, between bronze drivers. uh, And Uh, and uh, Perodo is a very consistent driver. When I was out on a track with him recently, I should say, he was driving a Peugeot 908 diesel and driving it very, very rapidly indeed. Uh, he's been voted much improved driver down through the years in the WEC, best um, gentleman driver. And he's, I mean, that is, apart from being a really nice bloke in a paddock full of really lovely <laughs> drivers, uh, there's such a lot of joy in the WEC and the, the ACO and sports car paddocks in general. And, and it, it, even with that, Francois stands out, will always have a, a chat with you, a laugh with you. And, you know, that is that is worth a lot here because he knows what his job is. I think JP. Yeah, know, knows his role in the team, um, and it's actually multi-layered as well. You know, to be able to to be the solid bronze, but he also brings a lot of support to that team as well. Also, drawing on two WEC Championship 
wins with an AM team in the past. The first was in 2016 with AF Corsa. The second was with the same team in the 2019-2020 season. So actually the last, uh, where are we, the last completed uh, season mm. when it spanned two calendar years. So, um, and, and they're really not very far away from, from leading this year's championship either. So that's what I mean about their success has not been a one-off. You know, they're able to produce the, that season on season. Alessia Rivera is the, the, the more recent addition to that combination. Um, he's a former Carrera Cup Italia champion four years ago as well, 26 years old from uh, Varese in Italy um, and running in uh, the FIA World Endurance Championship this season. ELMS this season has done the Spa 24 hours. He's also part of the, the World Challenge GT competition as well and an Asian Le Mans series run at the start of the year with Formula Racing. So he's a busy boy and again, integral to that driver lineup. And then Nicholas Nielsen, quite new to the, the gold rating purely because he won the ELMS a couple of years ago with Lusik Racing. He is um, de definitely a Ferrari specialist having come through the Ferrari Challenge Europe programme. Uh, another AF team is Spirit of Race. They're back with their 55. This will be the dark green car for Duncan Cameron, Mark Griffin and David Perel, the South African driver. And if you want to know why uh, GTE or GT Le Mans is important, uh, read what David Perel's been saying about it since he's been uh, driving the car. He's out at Monza most recently and thoroughly enjoyed it. And he's one of those people that says, listen, I, I can drive GT3s and if I want to, I would. But GTE is such a great and different challenge. Um, Matt Griffin uh, racing under uh, a bit of a, a personal cloud. He Unfortunately, his father died, uh, I think, the Friday of that meeting at Monza and, and Matt had to, to bail out and go and deal with family matters back in, in his home country of Ireland. Uh, the team honoured him and his dad in the best way by going on to win it. Duncan Cameron, gentleman driver who has got just so much passion for what he does. Shea Adam, ELMS team. Um, th this is again a team that you look at and you say, tell you what, that's, that's a that's a decent lineup again for this AM category. Very much so. And as Johnny pointed out, your bronze is going to be the big deciding factor. Well, this is Duncan Cameron's fifth Le Mans. He was second back in 2017, so he knows what it's like to be on the podium, but it's been a little while since he's seen the view. He's a driver who, when he's on his game, is very, very consistent. And that is all you can ask for at Le Mans. Being joined by Matt Griffin already, Matt's 10th Le Mans. Uh, he's been around for quite some time, a champion in just about every form of racing that he's competed in. And then David Perel, who is a, a feel-good story. His dream in life has been to compete at Le Mans, not ever since I was a young boy. I'm not going to do that to him. But he's been on a vein of form lately, second in the ELMS in 2020, third in the Asian Le Mans series this year, third in the Michelin Le Mans Cup last year. That put him on the radar for this Ferrari drive. And he's become somewhat of a Ferrari specialist. I'm really intrigued to see how this car goes. Mm. Uh, 57, Kessel Racing, another Swiss flagged uh, entry. Uh, this is another Asian Le Mans series. Uh, Takeshi Kimura, Mikkel Jensen, and Scott Andrews, uh, great opportunity for the Australian there and a relatively late call-up share. 
Yeah, it was. It's actually kind of cool that Scott Andrews has been racing anything under the sun that he can get his hands on, was actually at Monza competing when it was announced that he would be joining the Kessel Racing crew for the 24 Hours of Le Mans for his debut. Now, it's been a big year for Scott Andrews' wins at Daytona, at the Salem Six Hours of the Glen. Could he be adding a Le Mans victory to it? Well, Mikkel Jensen is somebody who's certainly going to be trying, and another one who's having a big year over in IMSA. So we've got two drivers competing on the American scene full-time this year uh, with Mikkel and Scott. And then Takeshi Kimura, who, again, is a bronze driver, very stable. 2018 and 19 Asian Le Mans Series champion. And we know the name because he's the team owner for MR Racing, not bringing his own team to the track this year, pairing up with Kessel, but it should be very much a lot of the same faces running that team this year, and they are very good as well. Ferrari's a go-go here on the Haggerty Radio Le Mans, and we'll go through the rest of the field with Johnny and Shea in just a moment. Twenty one GTE Arm Ferrari is the last brand that we're going through, the last manufacturer we're going through. Johnny Palmer three Iron Links entries this year. Sixty, the eighty, and what is uh, become known as the Iron Dames, the eighty five, and th- that is uh, part of of their own marketing strategy. We're we're not being disparaging in any way there. Let's take that number 61st. WEC entry in the Ferrari 488 GTE Evo. Yeah, and a, a name that you wouldn't necessarily recognise from the World Endurance Championship because he's been plying his trade in uh, international GT Open and also a season last year in the GT Italia uh, GT3 Pro division. Raffaele Jam Maria, that's two M's, kind of M and M, I'm going to remember it, because that's my, normally my uh, snack of choice during the 24 hours Good. of the morning. Well, I've, I've yeah, seen that as Gian Maria, so is that just a typo? Yeah, it appears to be. Yes, right. it's definitely M M Maria. Right. Uh, 43 years old, he um, is, well, no stranger to Ferraris, and actually... Uh, in the past racing with Spirit of Race and AF Corsa. But as you correctly say, this is the first of the Iron Lynx entries. Um, and it's great to get him back to Le Mans because he hasn't featured there since 2015, right. in 14 and 15. So therefore will be classed by the organisers as a rookie driver because it's been longer than five years since he last appeared. It'll be joined by the 46-year-old gold-rated Italian Paolo Roberti, who is a real character and um, drives... <laughs> in the European Le Mans series and the Le Mans Cup at times for Iron Links, of course, always in Ferraris. He was uh, in the FIA WEC for 2019-2020, but not in it this year. And then Claudius Giovoni, who very much is, uh, drives the 60 car in both WEC and the ELMS, in fact, from Bologna originally and started racing only five years ago in Ferrari Europe, did the Gulf 12 hours that year as well, actually for Kessel Racing, but it's all Ferraris. Uh, through and through for the last five years for Claudio. Second of the Iron Links entries is the number 80. Uh, this is another WEC, uh, excuse me, this is an a ELMS uh, entry for Matteo Cressoni, Rino Mastronardi. And remember when we were saying about Ferrari development uh, and uh, academy drivers, Callum Eilert has been drafted in uh, this one. Uh, I suspect that when Ferrari start testing their global prototype. Um, 
Callum, who is the official test driver for Scuderia Ferrari and test and reserve driver for Alfa Romeo, the former Sauber team in in Formula One. Um, I suspect his name will be alongside that. That car probably running sometime in 2022 for a projected competition uh, debut towards the end of 23 or early in 24. For now, he's getting some experience here of the world's biggest sports car race. And with Matteo and Reno around him, um, he's got some experience there to draw on. Yeah, he does. And you always want to go to Le Mans, experience it, shake out the, the nerves and get ready to come back on the potentially biggest stage you possibly can going for the overall win. So for Callum Island, this race is invaluable. Now, joining up with Matteo Cressoni, a guy who I always associate as racing a Ferrari, whether it's FIA GT, International GT Open, IMSA, you name it, Matteo is going to be wearing the red overalls. It's his fourth Le Mans already, and then Reno Mastronardi, his second Le Mans after the DNF last year, but another guy who is very good in Ferraris. Uh, he's been second in championships such as the Asian Le Mans series in Ferraris. He's been racing for a very long time. A Barber Dodge Pro Series second in 2000, uh, 1997, wow. so it goes way back there, but the recent vein of form has been the Michelin Le Mans Cup GT champion in 2020 for Reno, so he got that uh, valuable experience that I was talking about for Callum last year. He got to figure out what the race is like and get all of the excitement out this year, coming back with much more of a realistic shot at a podium. Yeah. uh, Callum perhaps can count himself a little unfortunate that he hasn't graduated up into the Formula One ranks, but clearly well thought of by Ferrari. And as I say, no surprise and no coincidence to me that he's turned up at Le Mans. The third of the Iron Links entries, JP, this is the Iron Dames. And as I say, we're not being disparaging. It is become a nickname for this car uh, because they are all female drivers. Neither the car, the track, or indeed, more importantly, the stopwatch uh, cares anything about that. But uh, it is part of the, the marketing ploy for the 85 car. Uh, yeah, and you know, I do think it's a, a concerted effort to try and get um, uh, females into the 24 Hours of Le Mans more frequently, which is something that needs to happen. And if it's a program that works, then uh, you know, you can't deny them of that of that uh, achievement. Dorian Power, by the way, waiting in the wings at 17 years old, I think, will be the next talent. Now she's been racing with. Sarah Bovey, who is the new bronze into the 85 car, uh, joining Michelle Gatting and Rahel Fry. So uh, 32 years old from Brussels, Sarah, but been racing, if you go back to her Formula Renault days in Belgium, since 2005. She's done some bell car racing, um, other touring car derived categories and was a BRCC champion in 2013. Discovered the 24H series, 24 hour series from uh, Creventic in 2015 and raced with Team Altron when they had those two Peugeots. Oh, if you yeah. remember. So uh, has uh, been part of that as well. Obviously, French, Belgian, strong connection there. Uh, and W series, couple of races in 2019. Uh, Michelle Gatting is from Aarhus in Denmark and has done some Sirocco R Cup racing. That was probably supporting DTM in the early 2010s, Porsche Carrera Cup Deutschland. And then first ACO rules racing was with the Asian Le Mans series in the 2018-19 season. But has become more familiar with GT cars and particularly Ferraris in recent years 
running in both the Ferrari European Cup, uh, in fact, this year as well, uh, in the Pirelli Cup there, along with the WEC and the ELMS campaigns. And Rahel Fry, who I've always been a, a big fan of, I remember seeing her a couple of times as part of the Jan Seyfart yes. the R8 Cup. Yeah. Uh, she is just mighty in those cars um, and no stranger to the podium. Do you think, yeah, like me, I think she's been underrated. I know people talk about her a lot. Audi thought a lot of her. But I still think, uh, in some ways, we haven't seen the best of Rahel. I would agree. Uh, and, you know, is that actually sometimes an opportunity hmm. thing as well? I don't want to delve into, you know, no. a huge topic, but... Uh, might might if situation had been different but you know there, there'd be more opportunity for her through the years because those that know racing know rahel fry yeah those that perhaps perhaps approached on the street wouldn't know her from from adam really and, and that's the really unfortunate thing because i think she she is so so talented and and just needs to to that that talent needs to be tapped open a little bit and i just wonder whether this this the iron dame's uh, initiative, you know, some may not agree with that, but but is it giving everybody in that car a little bit more exposure because of the marketing attached to it? I hope so, because as I say, she deserves a lot more potentially than she's had already. She's driven a massive array of cars down through the years, fairly traditional entry with karting and single-seaters, uh, Cher, and as I say, I just don't think she's been recognised and had the opportunity. I'm I'm with Johnny on that. No, completely agree with you on that. And Rahel is someone who I actually got to know a little bit better uh, last year when she was running with the all-woman crew at Daytona, at the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona, with Cat uh, Legg and Christina Nielsen. And Christina and Rahel were testing at Sebring. They left the test and came down to visit me. They actually stayed with me for a couple of days, and I got to know Rahel a lot better then. She runs her family's car dealership yep. back home in Switzerland. Her full-time job is not driving a race car. It's indeed managing an Audi dealership she's uh, a dealer principal yeah absolutely right exactly mm. so in terms of people who are not only very adept in in terms of skills but people may not realize how smart Rahel really is and her entire career has been dictated by other people that's what other people think but no it's it's really her pulling the strings behind the scenes and I I hope for nothing but the best for her so that's the uh, 85 Iron Links uh, entry uh, again, with a Swiss flag for uh, Rahel Frey. Uh, Inception next, JP. Another uh, Asian Le Mans series entry. Got their automatic entry by dint of their finish in the championship. And again, underlining the point we made earlier on about the progress being made by Asian Le Mans series teams. All right, this is a British flagged team, but using the ALMS um, at the Asian Le Mans series as a as an opportunity to compete and then to get themselves an automatic invitation. Yeah, and uh, I think good thinking from inception to try and get involved in the WEC uh, prior to Le Mans. They actually entered the six hours of Monza, uh, but unfortunately the car suffered in, in an incident, a crash during free practice, and that put the car out of the meeting. But uh, labelled as inception, that's... I believe Brendan Reeb's uh, company or initiative, but it's effectively Optimum Correct. Motorsport, I think, running that car. So uh, Optimum are a team that, again, are well-recognised 
more so away from Le Mans in the 24-8 series and in the domestic championships like, like British GT. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they get on as a team as well. Brendan E. Reid, the uh, American businessman who has uh, piloted GT3 cars a lot of the time, but um, might take just some slight adjusting to the fact that this is a GTE car, of course, as they all are. Ollie uh, Milroy, who is well known in uh, British uh, club racing circles, but also Asian Le Mans series. I mean, so many times he's entered that through uh, with Team AAI, who have had Le Mans entries in the past. He has run in uh, the European Le Mans series with a Curie Cos in 2013. Yes. And it's been a be- very busy year in 2021, actually. I'm- how many different programs are there here about eight different championships he's been involved in already and, and we're only into august so um a busy boy is is ollie milroy and then you've got ben barnacote who i'm a huge fan of actually because whatever he's driving uh, each weekend it tends to go incredibly quickly has found his way more in more recent years into uh, gts but he was a brdc f4 champion uh, six years ago and after the tests and uh, um, I did do a full season in FIA Formula 3 actually at European level he then changed to GTs and this was a notable switch where he's had a lot of success he's also run actually in prototypes with Thunderhead Carlin uh, in the season before last in the World Endurance Championship uh, Amazing that Ben's making his debut uh, mm. at Le Mans this year one of that uh, 26% that we talked about uh, and by the way um, although you could say the same for his teammate, Brendan uh, Ereeb. I'm sure he's got a pretty good uh, setup back at home as he's the man, um, together with Palmer Lucky, who started Oculus Rift for the VR headsets. Um, subsequently, I think it was bought up by Facebook, wasn't it? Or certainly... Uh, I believe uh, you're correct. Yeah, so uh, a very clever lad. Worked. I, I did. I was doing some looking up of Brendan, and he worked on Civilization Four. He was a programmer on Civilization, and I'm sure lots of people have have wiled away far too many hours uh, on that. Let's move on to uh, another Ferrari. Then the 66 back in the hands. The number of Jim McWorker, JMW Motorsport, uh, British flagged team, of course. Uh, been a, a, a bit of Talk about this team, share because uh, Jody Fanning has been uh, dragged in to this team. Originally thought it was going to be Thomas Nobuyer, uh, Rodrigo Salas and Robbie Foley from the US. You know all about Robbie Foley and Rodrigo Salas, of course, because uh, we've, we've seen those guys in action in IMSA. Yeah, Robbie Foley, who is the 2015 MX5 champ. Remember way back in the Skip Barber class, he had some great battles back then. He's won major races. He's won Petit Le Mans in 2019, the same year he finished second in the GTD category. Uh, He's won the six hours of the Glen. That was this year. And he drives full-time in IMSA with Turner Motorsport BMW, sharing the car alongside Bill Oberlin. Rodrigo Salas is a guy who he's been sharing the car with a little bit this year, running over in Europe. And Salas is a guy who's very familiar to people who have experienced TCR, particularly back in the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge days, who was second in that championship, sharing an Audi with Kuno Whitmer. And man, they came close to beating um, Tom Long and Britt Casey Jr. It was their teammates that year. Since then, Rodrigo has done 
quite a bit of racing abroad. He was in the Asian Le Mans series in an LMP3 machine. He's run with this team, as a matter of fact, in the European Le Mans series last year. And he's raced at Le Mans, albeit it was 2020 in the Michelin Le Mans Cup. And uh, he finished 10th, but that was driving a Ferrari. Uh Joe, uh, Thomas Nobart, we, we should talk about because there's, there's some dispute and uh, even the team, uh, as we are talking now, and certainly Geordie hasn't uh, said who he is replacing, but th- there's some dispute about who he will replace. Um, uh, uh, Geordie is, a, uh, I mean, he's been a Janetta driver. He's competed in uh, British, uh, British GT, uh, Brit Car. ADAC Masters, I think, as well. Hmm. And uh, GTE champion in 2017 in the European Le Mans series. So, you know, he's good. He's, he's raced for GRM in the Nissan. He's he's raced Ferraris in the past. He's raced, um, he's raced Bentley as well. I seem to remember um, maybe with Stephen Kim or somebody like that. Yeah, I think it was. Um, and he has raced for GMW before as well uh, in the European Le Mans series uh, with Rob Smith and Rory Butcher. Uh, and actually, there was a very emotional win at Monza when the car, which was seven years old then, that particular car and the design of the car, in its final appearance were at Monza against the uh, 2017 spec car. Uh, so uh, that was Johnny Cocker, I think, uh, who he was driving with there. Uh, and, and he has, I think also, there's another connection with this team as well, she isn't there? Yeah, they have contested the first four rounds of the European Le Mans series together. Rodrigo Salas, Jody Fannin and Andrea Fontana. So uh, Jody makes sense as being in the car. Foley makes sense as being in the car. Neubauer makes sense as being in the car. They've got four drivers and three seats. That's the uh, difficulty that everybody wishes they could have, right? So what do we know about Nobuyer then? Uh, sounds a little German, but in fact is French, born in France, and uh, runs under a French national license as well. He is a Ferrari Challenge veteran in Europe. Last year, he did six races. He won three of them. That's incredibly impressive as somebody who follows quite a bit of Ferrari Challenge racing. V2V is where he got his start, and he's been doing a lot in the GT World Challenge series. So he's somebody who's used to getting the elbows out, but mostly a clean driver. Which leaves us with the Rinaldi Racing number 388, one of two cars, along with D-Station, that has a triple number, which is uh, relatively unusual since the days of the... Uh, the 007s and the 009s from uh, Aston Martin. Uh, it's another Asian Le Mans series uh, entry, um, courtesy of their third place finish uh, in uh, the championship. And JP, uh, Pierre Arette and Jerome Blakemore, and most of our listeners will know. What about Christian Hook? Let's start with that German driver in the Rinaldi 488. Yeah, uh well, good mates with Pierre Eret, crucially. So uh, that's where that kind of relationship has, has come from. And also strong connections with Rinaldi Racing, Christian. So um, first started racing with them five years ago. Did a, um, a kind of dovetailed a pro-am and an am campaign with the International GT Open in 2018. And then moved on into other championships like the 24-8 series, actually did one race with Rinaldi there. So it's been a long-standing relationship there, although SPS Automotive Performance have run him a couple of times oh, yeah. in the odd race last year, too. But he's back with Rinaldi. I'm really pleased 
for Ronaldo themselves, actually, because this is another name, along with a, a few others that have uh, entered the Le Mans Cup this year, that we are far more familiar with from the what was the VLN, now is the NLS, and the Nürburgring Nordschleife for 24 hours as well. Rinaldi sound very Italian, but they're actually German and used to run the two Wockenspiegel team yes. Monschau Ferraris, the uh, the white, the, re- the red and the black cars that always did so well. Um, there was some sort of disagreement, I think, with the organisers of the Nürburgring in terms of balance of performance and whatnot. It's always a hot topic. And, and you know, they've, they've actually left that, sit, that uh, NLS championship but what is their loss is actually the ACO's gain. And, and we get to see how they do at the 24 hours of Le Mans. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to their, their debut in the in the race. Uh, Jerome Blake, I'm all in busiest man in motorsport, Shea Adam. And, you know, <laughs> he works more weekends than Johnny Palmer does. Yes, but he's been doing a lot of um, family time in Monaco this year. I've seen a lot on Instagram of him teaching the kids how to do various water sports and stuff out behind yachts in uh, the harbor that is Monaco. Uh, So for Jerome, this is welcome back to a busy weekend. His 16th run at Le Mans, the winner back in 2008. And as I mentioned earlier, going up against former teammates is going to be a weird experience for Jerome. He's got... uh, Ben Keating in his same category, but he also won the GTC championship with Cooper McNeil and shared a car with Cooper as a two-driver lineup, as I mentioned earlier. So he's got a lot of former co-drivers on the grid this year, a lot of people who might be giving him a little bit of extra space if he comes near them on track. Uh, Pretty strange to think Jerome has done this race 15 times before and only one win. For a guy of his credentials, it's not often that you come into a situation where he doesn't have a lot of success at a track. Uh, motorsport family, of course, Michael Blakemol and his dad, Sebastian Blakemol and his brother. Uh, he also races. Uh, I had to look this up, but he will be 40 in October this year. And I can't quite believe that. But I remember talk about him in A1 Grand Prix when he replaced Joss Verstappen. Um, he certainly drove Vipers back in the day. Um, he, he's done all kinds. And of course, massive in the Super Cup, uh, Porsche Super Cup, Lechner, uh, Walter Lechner racing, racing uh, as well for Jerome, uh, which brought him a little closer to, uh, to sports car racing. Well, there we have it. A... Uh, a field, Johnny and Shea, that is in some ways, JP, an embarrassment of, of riches. Not perhaps <laughs> the variety of cars that we have in uh, that we've had in, in, in previous years, particularly in the, the pro category. But is that is that potentially the deepest field, the, the most impressive field of drivers that we have had in in 31 cars well i I mean i am a fan of variety i think there's no getting away from that so it it would be nice to have maybe one additional type of car but that's where we are with gte right now and with a you know potentially a a big rule change imminent no one's going to start building different cars so we've got to accept that and also you know thinking back to the years where we have had six seven different manufacturers yeah. actually have they all been on the pace during Ooh, a 24 hours of them on because because no. it, it, what it's tended to do is open the race up again and you kind of discount a car they're going well they didn't really have the the speed to start with so they were never going to be in with a shout what we do have here 
we have already mentioned about the fact that uh, Porsche and Ferrari are separated by nothing in pro in the World Endurance Championship so far. I think Corvette will be right on that sort of speed as well, admittedly with less running, so therefore less data. And then in the AMs, you've got Aston, Porsche and Ferrari that have all featured on the podium to date. So it takes one variable away, yes, but actually it, it should mean that the field is much, much closer. And then you look to the driver combinations and it's going to be won and lost there. Uh, Johnny Palmer uh, will join Shea and myself and a whole, a whole host, a whole host uh, of, I'm sorry, I'm getting into my 24-hour voice already. Hello, and don't the kids love it? Um, Haggerty Radio Le Mans will be on the air via RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels. There are no blocks. There are no breaks. We never ask you for any money, so please do not. It's a free service. 15th of August, uh, which is a Sunday, for our live coverage of Test Day. No one else covers it live. We're doing it again. It's been reinstated this year. That's the start of race week, effectively. Monday and Tuesday, we'll have some special programmes for you. And then starting our race coverage uh, in earnest with Midday Motorsport on Wednesday, which will be at midday French time, uh, Central European time, before we get into every single session of the Le Mans 24 hours for 2021. And only Haggerty Radio Le Mans can say that. Hope you'll join us for at least some of it. The race itself starts at 4 o'clock on the Saturday. And by somewhere just after 4 o'clock on Sunday, we'll know who's won the 2021 edition. It's going to be a proper street fight in the street cars this year. GTE Pro, GTE Am, 31 cars, 31 hopes. Well, more than that, actually, because there's three drivers in each cars and just as many stories to play out. And you'll hear them all right here on Haggerty Radio Le Mans for 2021. Thanks to Johnny and Shit. Join us from the 15th. Bye-bye. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.